Welcome to Baking with House of Bread, and I am your host, Sheila McCann. So today we're going to cover hot cross buns, and the origins of the hot cross bun go way back. As far as the 12th century is where it was first recorded, and according to the story, an Anglican monk baked the buns and marked them with a cross in honor of Good Friday. And this year, Good Friday falls on April 2nd, and then Easter is on sun, the following Sunday, which is April 4th. And they're very popular. I think it's somewhat of a symbol of um, Easter. And the cross represents the crucifixion of Jesus. The spices inside the buns are supposed to symbolize the spices that were put on the body of Jesus after he had died. And I actually tried to find out what spices those were. And not just for this podcast, it was a long time ago, but because everybody has their own family traditional recipe. And so when people come in the bakery and they want their hot cross buns, they're thinking of what they had growing up. And so they'll ask me, does it have cardamom in it? And I'm like, I don't even know what that was. <laughs> so anyway, I looked up and researched what the actual traditional spices are in the hot cross buns. And in all the New Testament, the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they just state spices. So it's not recorded. I know. Can you believe it? They didn't tell you which kind. It would have solved a lot of controversy about what's the traditional spices in hot cross buns. So I happen to use cinnamon, nutmeg, and allspice. And the reason I picked those is because we have them on hand. And if you don't have them on hand, then you can substitute in, you know, different spices. And for those of you that don't know, allspice is not a combination of different spices. That's what I thought it was when I opened the bakery and then come to find out, no, it's particular spice. It's um, actually made from dried berries of a plant uh, that's in a mem member of the myrtle family. And anyway, the flavor of allspice got its name because it brings into mind the combination of cinnamon, cloves, nutmeg, and pepper. But if you don't have allspice, don't go out and buy it necessarily. You could substitute cloves or or ginger, or whatever. Um, I probably wouldn't use pepper in this recipe. I mean, I like complex flavors, but I don't think pepper is a good one to pick. I can tell you what cardamom is now, because I had to look it up, because I actually tried to get it, because um, I had a few customers ask for it, and it was it's difficult to find. And anyway, so it is the seeds that a spice is made out of, and it's from plants. It's associated with the ginger family. So if you wanted to have more of a cardamom type flavor, then maybe use ginger or go out and you probably can get cardamom now fairly easily with Amazon. But at the time, my bakery supplier didn't carry it and it wasn't in the stores. Hot cross buns are not like dinner rolls. They really have more butter and eggs than the traditional dinner rolls, and it will produce a slightly denser roll as a result. But it shouldn't be heavy just a little bit denser than a traditional dinner roll. And they're really more of a dessert or breakfast roll, but they're not that sweet. So if you wanted to serve them with dinner, you certainly could. And this recipe that I'm gonna give you, it yields about two and a half pounds of dough. And out of this recipe, you you can make anywhere from 12 to 16 hot cross buns, depending upon the size of the bun you want. 
I have to prefer a little bit smaller. So like I would use this recipe for 16 hot cross buns, but if you want a little bit bigger ones, then just do a dozen. Okay, so you wanna start with your water and your milk, and it's a half a cup of each. And I would just throw it in the microwave for a couple minutes. I want the liquid to be very warm, but not burning hot. And it should be something that you can put your finger in and not get burned. Two packages or one and three-fourths tablespoon of active dry yeast, half a cup of white granulated sugar, and then one lemon zested, and then just zest the whole entire outside the lemon and then squeeze the juice that's left inside the lemon into your batch. For zesting, they have zesters you can use. Um, you can also use a small paring knife. The point is, is to get the outside of the lemon and I want it finely chopped. So if you're gonna to try to do it with a knife, chop it up, chop, really chop it up, chop fine. And the reason why is I want the flavor dispersed. Okay, then two tablespoons of melted butter, one egg, and then my spice combination is a half a teaspoon of cinnamon, a pinch of nutmeg and allspice. And if you wanna know exactly, just about oh, a quarter teaspoon. I mean, if you get a little more in, it's a half a teaspoon, it's not really the big, bit of a deal. I happen to love nutmeg. If you prefer more nutmeg and you don't really like cinnamon, then just use all cinnamon, then, or excuse me, use all nutmeg. Do like a cocktail of spices, and so I do recommend using more than one. It just has a more complex flavor. And then people ask, well, what, what am I tasting? You know, And so they don't really know. Um, and if you want to use cardamom, then use a half a teaspoon of cardamom. Or, you know, if you want to go full teaspoon, you're welcome to do that too. What I would stay away from is using more than two teaspoons of spice. I'd probably try to stay in the range between one and a half teaspoon. And that'll give you plenty of spice. And you want it to be more subtle. You want to taste the spice, but I don't want it to be overpowering everything else. And so in my recipe, I'm actually just using one teaspoon of spice in the recipe, which would be a half a teaspoon of cinnamon. And then we really just combine the nutmeg and allspice to get another half teaspoon for one teaspoon total. And then one tablespoon of salt. And so what you want to do is take the ingredients I just listed, mix those all together. And if you notice, there's no flour yet. And the reason why I want you to hold on mixing in the flour, because I wanted to evenly distribute all the flavors first. And then you're going to add your four cups of unbleached flour. I prefer to use a bread flour or higher protein flour. So the general rule is if the product's got yeast, then try to use bread flour. And that's a very general rule because there is exceptions. <laughs> but if they don't tell you in recipe and if it's got yeast, then use bread flour. And then you're just basically going to knead this until you get to the good dough stage. And you can use a mixer, you can hand knead. After you get to that good dough stage, well, you know, where you got the window pane, the dough is nice and smooth. And as you can see that this is a lower hydration dough, so it's not going to be um, super sticky, but should be a little slightly sticky, I would say. And then add in a cup of raisins. Now, once again, if you want to substitute currants, you're welcome to, or golden raisins or dried cherries or, or you know, dried cranberries. It's really up to you what your taste preference is, but try not to exceed the one cup total. We want the dough to stick together to form a nice ball. After you get the dried fruit kneaded in there, what you're going to do is you're basically going to let it proof now. 
So you can put it back in your bowl and you cover it with a damp towel if you'd like, and it would rise better if you had a warm place. If you don't have a warm place, just plan on taking a little bit longer. And it's approximately about an hour and a half until the dough actually doubles in bulk. And that's why it's called your bulk fermentation. And now you want to take your dough after it's gone through its bulk fermentation, and then you just push it down with your fist or your hand. Often they'll say that in recipes that you punch it, but I don't like to use that reference as punching because you really want to be gentle with the dough. I mean, you definitely want to get the air bubbles out, but yeast is pretty delicate and it's a living thing. You know, a lot of bread making is about nurturing the yeast along, you know, making sure it's good, getting it fed. And, and so you really don't want to kill it. <laughs> I mean, you're not going to kill it if you really literally punch the dough down, but you are going to compromise it somewhat. So you want it to grow in a nice environment. So be firm, but gentle, and you'll have better loaves in the end. And the reason why you want to deflate the air bubbles in the dough, that's what happens when you punch it or push it down gently. Really what happens, it redistributes what's in there because it'll get rid of the air bubbles and that allows the yeast to mingle better. It will discover new sugars that will produce a better tasting, even a better texture somewhat because it will affect the fermentation as well. And I have a personal preference where if I'm not in a hurry, which seems to be not very often these days, <laughs> but if I can got something else I can do in the bakery for, you know, five, 10, 15 minutes, and then come back to the dough, that's what I will do after I put it on the table because it's just easier to work with. And in this dough in particular, uh, you're gonna have to do quite a bit of shaping because you're gonna divide it and then you're gonna shape it, you're gonna round it. What you wanna do with this dough, I don't like scaling out all the pieces here. So I kinda, in my world, what I do is I just take the dough, I divide it in half, okay? You've got two pieces of dough now. And now what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna divide the two pieces of dough in half again, okay? And so you keep going until you get to a total of 12, or if you wanna to get to 16, you can go to 16 too. What I find is that the human mind can eyeball half pretty good. They're not really that good at eyeballing fourths or certainly twelfths or sixteenths. And so you're really better off working on half and then taking each half and dividing half and then dividing each piece into either thirds or another half or however big you want your rolls. And the reason that it's important to try to have consistent size dough is in the business of baking is people expect consistency. So you're always striving for consistency. And I would say even at home, it's important to try to get consistent just because of the baking. So if you have one roll that's super big and another one that's super small, well, they're gonna bake at different, uh, they're gonna be done baking at different times. So that's why you wanna try to get it as close as possible to about the same size. I mean, a little variance is not a big deal. And sometimes what I'll do is I'll divide them all up and I'll look at the dough balls and I can see one's bigger. Okay, I'll just cut a piece off that one and stick it on the other one. And then even sometimes after we shape the dough and they got your nice round balls, if you see that, hmm, this one's bigger, we'll just cut off the bottom and stick it on the bottom of the other one. Okay, it's not, they're not going to affect much in the baking. I mean, you're going to get some oven springs on these rolls, but the same time is, is if you touch it on the bottom, 
that's where it's going to, the steam's going to escape on the bottom. And so you're not going to get, you know, a bun that goes lopsided on you. And plus these rolls are not that big in mass. And so they're easier to control a little bit the final shape. For example, if you used a, this, you use this recipe and you just want to do one big hot cross bun, you would have a difficult time maintaining that big shape. And because it's looking to grow and it's looking to expand. And sometimes what happens, it ends up being lopsided. What we've done, because we actually do sell loaves that are round like that. We just slice the bottom of the loaf because I want a nice, clean, round top. I don't want, if you score, it will solve all issues because it'll look to go where the scoring is. And that's one of the reasons people score loaves as well as looks and, you know, tradition. And, but if you don't want to do that for these rolls, we don't score them with the cross on top. That actually comes with the frosting. Anyway, so you can also just score the bottom. But like I said, these are small enough. It's not really a big deal. So don't worry about it. Okay, so get your dough pieces, round them into a ball, just the best you can. Remember, we're gonna put crosses on these, so don't be so worried about if they're exactly perfect balls. And then you put an egg wash on top prior to baking. And that's just basically an egg and then scramble it with it like a tablespoon of water, just brush it on top. And what that's gonna do, it's gonna give the bun a shiny look and a little bit richer color. It doesn't affect the bake or taste really. Now your dough is going to undergo its second rising, and that's going to take place on your baking sheet. By the way, on these baking sheets, I would invest in some decent baking trays that are heavier than the cheap ones. And I don't bake that much at home, but I have found myself baking in other people's homes, and they have these cheap <laughs> baking sheets. And not only that, but their ovens aren't all that great. To be honest with you, it's much easier to bake commercially because your whole system is designed about the baking process and not you know, anything else. I recommend to my friend, I'm like, if you're really going to do much baking, and um, whether it be English muffins or hot cross buns or, you know, the cookies, you know, these smaller items, it can burn on the bottom. So tip number one is put these on the upper shelf if you don't have really good baking trays. Tip number two is go get some decent baking trays. And if you're listening to this podcast, you probably are a good home baker. And you know, I don't mean like good in quality. I mean, good is, is you're, you're diving into the trade. Let's put it that way. The better ones are heavier. What I mean by that is they're sold in gauges. It's just like shotguns, but it's counterintuitive. Like a 16 gauge is actually thinner or less than a 14 gauge. They range from 18 to 12. The lower the number, the better. 12 to 14 is what I like. I don't like anything beyond 16 to 18. And we found this out also commercially the hard way because, oh, we got some sheet pans and things were burning on the bottom. And then I, I figured it out. The, so we had ended up having to double pan that particular pan because it was too thin. All right, back to hot cross buns. And uh, the other thing on your pan is you want to space out the buns to give them room to grow. Now, that being said, some people like to have more square pull apart type shapes. And if that's the case, you don't have to bake them on a sheet and space them out, you know, one to two inches apart. You can kind of squish them in together. Actually, they're not squished. Just put them right next to each other in like a nine by 13 or like a 10 inch square pan too. And then what's gonna happen is, so you place them so they're 
they're barely touching and they're going to grow together, right? Because the oven springs are going to allow them to grow together and they're going to come out a little bit more squarish and they're going to be more of a pull apart. I personally prefer the more rolled look. Um, that could be because I don't really have those type of 9 by 13 10 inch or square pans in the bakery. So <laughs> we just do it on cheap pans. There's not really that much of an option. Okay, and then depending on the warmth of the room and the kneading process, it's going to take anywhere from, oh, 15 to 30 minutes. The proofing, I want to watch the proofing a little bit. And because there's so much fruit and sugar in this, it can break down pretty quickly. And a good way to test is just take your tray and just give it a gentle shake. And if the dough moves around, that means they have air inside and they'll be nice and light. And you can also poke it or just kind of look at it. Did it? Did it, you can see if it's kind of softened up a bit. Now you place the buns in the middle of the preheated oven, preheated heated at 350 degrees. And it's going to take, depending on your oven, anywhere or the size of your buns too, anywhere from 20 to 30 minutes. And then you just basically pick it up and look at the bottom. It should be, you know, you can tap it, see if it sounds hollow. Or you can just take a thermometer and poke it in the middle of the bun and it's got to get over 180. 181 is perfecto, but you can go 185. That's fine. But try not to go too much beyond that because it basically will dry out quicker. And then you basically just cool your hot cross buns. If you want to put them on a wire rack, you can. But to be honest, these things don't weigh that much. So it's not really that big of a deal. Now, after they've baked, give them maybe, let them cool maybe 10, 15 minutes. And the reason why is frosting tends to stay better if it's a little bit cooler. For your frosting, you can put whatever type of frosting you want on it. So what we do is we do about one and a half to two cups of powdered sugar and we throw in a little bit of vanilla like a teaspoon now if you like to use almond extract you could use that too we add a little bit of milk the general rule is about two tablespoons of milk to two-thirds of a cup start with one and a half cups of powdered sugar put in your vanilla extract and then what i'm going for is a thick pancake batter type consistency and if you want to do runny frosting, you can. So it's not that critical. But the problem with runny frosting, it kind of comes off the bun. So when we frost our cinnamon rolls, it's a little bit runnier than when we make the frosting for the hot cross buns. So I want it kind of to set a little bit. So start with only two tablespoons of milk, your teaspoon of vanilla, and then add water as or milk as needed. And what you can do is you can just kind of take your a spoon or your knife and put it in the frosting and then just make a simple cross on top. The other tip is if you've got like a plastic sandwich baggie, you can put your frosting in there. So you got your frosting in that sandwich bag and then just take a scissors and cut off like a small corner of it. And then you can squeeze the top of the bun to, the, uh, you can squeeze the frosting out on top of the bun after it's baked. And I hope you enjoy your hot cross buns. And I thank you for listening. And if you would like to know more about House of Bread, I will put a link in the show notes to our website. We also have a House of Bread um, online baking classes. I have a recipe book as well. So all of that information I will put in your show notes as well as the recipe. I hope everyone enjoys the holiday and happy baking, everybody.